Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hold on. Hold on. The good news is, ladies and gentlemen, as we do a lovely interview with Alan Meyerson, the first thing that we can certify is that Alan does his Zooms with pants on, which is, I think, a very important distinction. But with my um, knees exposed. Uh, well, knees knees are okay. I just want to say that you can Donald Duck it, of course, with uh, Zoom. So. We're going to say that Alan has the great respect for all our listeners. Hold on. Let me see if I can help more with the light situation. It's not very pleasant in here, but it might be better for you. Okay. It's just you were, your half of your face is a little bit of a kind of Phil Collins. Meets. I, th- I think this might be it. It's a better, it's, it's a better theme. It's a better? It's a better. It's a better. All right. Well, this is what you got. This is what we got, and we couldn't be happier, and we're just going to rock because this is an incredibly informal, fabulous, and ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, which is my new word. I used to say gentlemen, but now I just say ladies and gentlemen. Gentlemen? Gentlemen. This is, is, by the way, welcome to More Score, and this is composer Carol, who works with More Score and Craftbox and all of us and um <clears throat> i'd like to welcome to our fabulous audience alan myerson the legend the myth the, the man legend. and a friend of mine i'm hesitant to say that we're probably four decades in oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not hesitant i can tell you we're four decades in i met you obviously when you were an infant because you're so young but i just want to just preface that by saying that Alan is, of course, as many of our audience know, probably as as famous and, and accomplished a film score mixer as exists on the planet. He's mixed. You look it up and it says 200 plus movies on IMDb and double that on allmusic.com. Of course, he's worked with James Newton Howard, John Powell, Harry Gregson Williams, Danny Elfman. I mean, just a few. Not to I mention the German. And, and then he works with Hans Zimmer yeah. on a regular basis and has a studio not far from Hans. Right. And and it's just a pleasure to welcome Alan Meyerson to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Just to have a chat. I want to preface this conversation, Alan, by saying I've watched other videos of yours and they are probably what our audience wants and none of that information is going to be part of this conversation because Good. our audience probably is like leaning forward to say so do you route the fader for the reverb between the vocal and the not my interest or intention for this one that's what i was hoping i just wanted to say hello and 
I think first of all, since your memory's better than mine, where did we meet? Please share. Well, I'm gonna. Unfortunately, I'm gonna dispel a, a, something that has become an urban legend. Thank you. That got sort of turned around from what the original conversation was, and I never wanted to contradict you because you always, you know, in you have always talked about our relationship in front of other people, and I never wanted to contradict you in that. So I'm now gonna dispel to you the actual truth the actual I'm truth is happy for that i wish i had assisted on those sessions with elliot and you unfortunately i was the next generation of assistants to come into a and r studios robert for those of you that don't know robert Kraft recorded one of my favorite records ever in the history of mankind mood swing there was a period in my life where i could literally sing every song know every lyric and had it memorized and i worked at the so studio. you were the guy that bought the record me and cynthia daniels who was an engineer also from a r who at the time was in the duplication room and i was assisting sessions because i was a I had jingle background, and then A&R had uh, stolen me from the hit factory because they needed someone who could walk in the door and do a 50-piece session, and I had that experience. Mm. Anyway, so uh, I was, I was, my grandfather mentor was Elliot, who was the engineer on your record. Why don't you mention to those that don't know just who Elliot So Elliot is. Shiner is probably one of the, you know, the big five in the world of modern recording engineers where you'd have to add Bruce Swedeen, the great you know, late Al Schmidt, Elliot Shiner, um, I mean, Jeff Emmerich, if you want to go there, and and uh, just this, and Bob Clearmountain. These are the guys that my generation of engineers worshipped, you know, my generation being me, Chris Lord Algie, Chad Blake, you know, stuff like that. So anyway, so Elliot did this record with you, and I love this record. And the first time you and I met, and I remember this, was in a playback room at Capitol, and you were listening to a live ISDN broadcast of a mix done by Mick Gazowski to some song that you were the executive on. And I told you my story with this album and how much I loved this album. And I started like singing back lyrics to you and all that. And somehow that morphed into I assisted. And now I'm here to tell you that was not in fact the case, but I didn't ever want to contradict you in a room full of clients and people that were important because that was that would be rude and so i allowed that to be the case and i'm glad i have this opportunity now to to wipe the slate clean and let you know that it was more me being a fan than it was someone that was working i appreciate the clarification and i just want to say that going forward i like the first story better so i'm going to stick okay. to that that you <laughs> all right so here it goes so my first, my early days at a and i oh, got to work with elliot shiner and robert came in and made this record and i fell in love with this record the minute i started hearing the tracking session but i must add i came and saw you live at the bottom line like four times in a row um th this is all amazing and and what i love about it is a couple things and then i will actually also correct something so what I love about this is that, um, oh, Robert Kraft, isn't he an executive? You're actually waving a little tiny flag that says, yeah, oh, he was a, like, you know, crazy piano-playing musician at one juncture in my life and songwriter. <laughs> but and that's wiped out, even to the extent that, you know, you were listening to something, Mick Gazowski, and you were the executive. 
actually I was the songwriter and producer of the Mick Gazowski stuff. And and so it always gets conflated as, you know, oh, you right. must have been in your executive thing. Right. The executive thing was an accident, of course, like all great things in life right. and what you're about to tell us, that then became, and understandably and not regrettably, my identity going forward. You're an executive. Yes, but, but to, to me, as a fan, my, your identity is this incredible piano player, songwriter, with the greatest band ever on the planet, playing the grooviest grooves ever, who happened to become an executive that I got to work with on like 75 movies. Well, I think after this podcast, I am going to engage you for a little therapy to ask the question <laughs> of the hour, which is, so if that was the case, why did I walk away? We'll leave that for another day. Okay. Because I think that's that's an entire conversation that all of us must have about career choices. One thing I do need to say, and sure. I always quote this, this is one of my quotes, is as in the words of the great Robert Kraft, and this is part of my life story, good looks, education, and money are often wasted on the slow. All things in moderation, honey, and moderation is the first to go. I think that's going to be on my tombstone. And Alan, it's been great talking to you about me. Uh, this has been a wonderful episode of More Score. <laughs> thanks, and I hope all of you will come back. Bye, everyone. Uh, bye. Great, thanks. Um, and now I'm being quoted, and I appreciate it. Uh, I would I like it. to know, to it. kick this off, yeah. and thank you very much, yeah. and it's joyful. What happened between the day that we saw each other in New York City and the next time... I was in a room with you mixing something, and it's in Santa Monica, California. Right. I don't know that part of the story. Sure, sure. Which might be a decade in the middle of that, or more. So, so um, I was pursuing a career as a record mixer slash producer, sort of trying to do it in the mold of a Phil Ramone, or in those days there was a gentleman named Alex Sackin, who unfortunately passed away, where the engineer producer was sort of what was happening and unfortunately when i was sort of reaching the pinnacle of my opportunity to do that i had had some success i uh, i was very very fortunate to meet an a and r guy named tony prendat who was at polygram records and i sort of owned the entire polygram black music department i was mixing cameo the commodores the reddings charlie wilson nia peoples howard hewitt jody watley and and they were flying me back and forth from New York to L.A. And I decided in 1986 um, that I, my life needed a reboot because I had had a lot of uh, history in New York that I was ready to move on from. And so I had a choice, considering I was working in both places, where to work and where to live. So I decided to get a little apartment on the beach in Marina Del Rey and, and mm. let go of my little shitty apartment on um, on Fifth Avenue and 19th Street. Um and, uh, and I moved out here and I pursued that for a while and was and discovered in that period of time, this was the late 80s, early 90s, that the music business had shifted to this away from the engineer producer to the you know, musician programmer producer, the guy who can do a quick keyboard part or a bass part. And I didn't have those types of chops. And I started feeling like I was being left behind. Hmm. And, and I didn't really, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really inclined to do hip hop and and uh, and I had a room at Larrabee for a couple of years doing a lot of great work, you know, and then I lost that room because Dr. Dre came in to do Snoop's first album. So I lost my ba I lost my home base. And um, 
and I got very depressed. <clears throat> and uh, I didn't know where my career was going to go. And funnily enough, this neighbor of mine who I had helped get internships in a million studios, he wasn't really built for the studio life, ended up with a, uh, an internship at what was then called Media Ventures. And that was Hans's space. And his engineer at the time was a guy I knew from New York named Jay Rifkin, who used to be at a studio called uh, Automated, where I worked a lot. I was So I, was, I ended my career in New York as a freelance engineer doing jingles, doing records, working all the time. So I was working in every studio in New York uh, all the time, five days a week. And it was I was busy, but I wanted my life to change. Anyway, uh, it's a longer story than this, but I ended up with an opportunity to visit Hans's studio. And I came down there. Uh, Jay was very gracious and was happy to see me. And they started asking me if I would be interested in doing some fill-in work. So I started doing that. I ended up on a percussion session. I ended up helping up with the end of Lion King. No one knew I was doing it. I was in the back room doing foreign language mixes, which then they repurposed for the for the soundtrack album because they liked my mixes. And, um, and then... Um, I ended up being thrown into a session. I'd met Hans during this period of time. He didn't know me from Adam. He actually knew one album I had done, this Brian Ferry record called Bet Noir. And, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I ended up on a session with him and, and um, Penny Marshall doing drums for this movie, Renaissance Man. And it went really, really well. I, was, I did a good job. And, and I'm from Brooklyn, and Penny was from Brooklyn. And Penny resonated to me, and I resonated to her. We knew what neighborhoods, we played Jewish geography. And for those of you who don't know what Jewish geography is, look it up. Um, and, and Hans was like, well, I'm obviously not needed here. And he left. So I thought I did something wrong. And, and so I get a call the next day, could you come in? And I'm figuring I'm about to get yelled at by a guy I don't even know. And I get in there, he goes, I don't know why I don't know you, but what are you doing for the next three months? And that three months is now wow. 28 years. So I, I, oh. I've i been working with Hans for the last 28 years. I don't do everything anymore because my, my career has expanded. And and uh, Hans has, you know, his footprint is much, much larger now. And, you know, in those days, it was me and him and a tech. Hmm. And it was seven days a week till three in the morning. back in And you did recording as well as mixing. Right. Right. The first movie. Everything. Yes. I mixed. I, so I mixed Speed which was the first movie, which wasn't for mm -hmm. Hans. It was for Mark Machina. And then I recorded and mixed Renaissance Man. And then two weeks, uh, not two weeks notice. Uh, I don't even, it was it nine, just, nine and eight, nine weeks, nine, nine right. Nine months, the Christmas nine Columbus months. movie. And then, then it just, the, it, the snowballing started. And I started doing like three at a time. And then DreamWorks got formed and we did the score to Peacemaker. And Peacemaker was the first time Hans, to, we, we sort of, changed the sound a little bit and, and I kind of maybe I helped I don't know but it became a more aggressive more record-oriented sound more sort of driven by sort of the, the pop uh, aesthetic than mm -hmm. than traditional film score and then gladiator happened and then and then and then and then and then and then and and it was for that period of time for the mid to late 90s and the early 2000s I was doing 12 to 14 movies a year I was working I was ruining my marriage. I, you know, it was like all the things you're afraid of in situations like that. And that's when we met again. Was in any one of those possible? Oh, scenarios. you just you just solved two two issues for me in that story. Um, and we're, I just love the story because I love hearing about lives and how they 
evolve and change and sure. people always look at a career like yours and go wow man you plotted this out and you figured stuff out and you had a destination and then when you hear it yeah. it's the most wonderful thing is my favorite part of the story is that you were a little lost in Venice, California, not right. knowing what happened. Listening you went to, to Tony visit. Robbins' takes on 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 a on a Walkman on a cassette. It's just great. But Wait, here's Alan the... Meyerson, you mean he had a doubt at one point and he didn't know what would I, happen next? I still have a doubt. I still live with imposter syndrome. Oh, that isn't that great? Here are two things you just clarified for me. One, I realized I conflated your story with Jay Ripken. Jay was the assistant at Automated. And I knew that there was Jay at yeah. Media Ventures had right. had a conversation right. with me once about, hey, I was an yeah. assistant mm -hmm. on Mood Swing. And now it became somehow yeah, Alan was the assistant. I guarantee okay. you I listened to that record more times than he did, though. I, I mean, <laughs> I must listen to that record a thousand times. I think, strangely enough, that Jay has a credit on that one or the next record. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, assistant engineer. Right. Secondly, my very, very first phone call at 20th Century Fox was to Han about nine months. So you and I are starting, this is October of 94. Right. So exactly. you and I are starting huge pivots in our careers. Right. At the same moment, I'll tell you, my second call was from Mike Thorpein and Sam Schwartz. Oh, wow. Saying, don't you ever call Hans directly again. Wow. Because I had, in my first week of being at Fox, transgressed in a way that I didn't know. I knew Hans personally, and we had a date issue on nine months. And I knew Chris Columbus because I had just done music for two of his movies. And we were having conversations about dates. And he said, why don't you just call Hans? Yeah. I just finished Adventures in Babysitting. For oh, wow. I remember that and, movie. And, and I called Hans and said, I think we need, Chris wants to know if you can move this two weeks. Whatever the question was. And he said, yeah, no problem. Yeah. yeah. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, boom. Robert, we're coming over to see you. Right? I so, uh, but it's just not nice to know the date of that. Sure. It makes me realize also, I guess the question I've wondered about, not about faders and EQs and which version of software you use, but you said something interesting when you said you weren't that guy, the programmer, the keyboard player, the something. But I've often wondered about in your role being next to this incredible quantity of music, how much latitude do you have to be musical in this way? So somebody, Hans comes in with a track. John Powell comes in with a track. Everybody leaves and you're there and it's 11 at night. You know what? If you muted the bass here. Yeah. If I if you took the cellos out, right. I'd love this cue more. Do you do it? And can well, you, are I mean, you allowed to do on, it? It depends on the composer. It depends on the score. Nice. You know, it's... It, you. You can do it in certain cases. Uh, certainly, I can do it more now than before because now I'm, I'm the like dinosaur professional that Chris Bowers brings into. But you know, the the, the truth is is that um, um, these pieces of music that end up in these films have been parsed and written and rewritten and adapted and new version, version two, version three, version nine, version twelve. So by the time it gets to the point where we're ready to mix. 
the the director, the producers, the editor has has lived with this thing. It's really hard to remove something. I always I always felt like mm -hmm. my superpower was being able to make it exactly like what they're used to, only better in every direction, like wider, higher, richer, warmer, more depth, more alive. But still, they'll recognize the piece of music as the same piece of music that they approved when they did it. So in that case, um, you can't. But Hans, in those days, gave me an incredible amount of latitude, you mm. know, where he just, I was literally free to, you know, I always, you know, I always was big on resampling drums and stuff like that. I would add my own drums and and add, you know, stuff that I, as a non-playing engineer, you know, would. So I was one of the early drum replacement guys in New York when I was adding my own kick drums and snare drums. So I brought all that technology with me into the film world. So Hans was always very, very pleased with all that stuff. Even John Powell. Sometimes you, you, you know, you, you you can't get away with it. A lot but but and now of course it's different uh because everything's so dense and so big it's hard to you don't have there's just never the time to to do that so yes i had a lot of latitude and uh no i didn't have any latitude at all yes and all I, of that on the same piece of music totally understood and it's interesting to be reminded about um drum replacement there was a period and I also inherited the Elliot Shiner school and Danny, whatever his name was, who was a, an assistant out here for a while, tackled one record where he took the live drums of some really great drummers and replaced the snare and the kick. And it sounded suddenly went from live to artificial. And that was a, a moment about a year in my life of, well, that's what we do. You know, we're, we're using the samples over the live drummer. I thought, wow, that's right. wild. But, um, I like hearing that. I like hearing that it's also sculpted now. That there isn't a lot for you to do because I wondered. Well, there's um, a lot to do. There's just not. I, I can't turn off a bass part. Right. Or, right. But uh, musically, it's hard. I also thought you are in the privileged position of sitting in the room while the composer and either the director or the studio executive or both probably are ignoring you at the console while yeah. they're having a conversation. Even physically, you're maybe looking at the desk and behind you is the composer and the director. Often you're hitting playback. Let's look at this. Let's look at that. You must know more stories about the inner workings of how films are made. And I also realized you must have heard more both fights in polite ways, because I don't think anybody's going to say to Hans, you're out of your mind, where they, but they'll say, I'm not sure this works for me, which is the polite way of saying you're out of your mind. Oh, there's, there's it's been, it's more, it's been more than that, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> any, any that, without being gossipy, any wonderful moments that you watched great music evolve where there was a struggle? I mean, I... Sure, uh, uh, sure, I well, I mean, Hans would be the first one to tell you that Thin Red Line, we did six hours of music to try to get a movie's worth of music approved. I was there for that, too. Yeah. And, and stood in the back of the Fox stage hearing those cues, but never knew till many years later how hard it was to get that to the yeah. stage. And Terrence McNally notoriously 
difficult to please. So I can only imagine. Um, I I can tell you um, when we were doing Black Hawk Down, uh, what what happened with that one was because of nine eleven, they had accelerated the schedule by a lot. It was originally supposed to come out in two thousand two, and then they wanted to bring it out for the end of two thousand one. They felt for you know patriotic reasons and. I think also an opportunity to to max you know they they saw this opportunity so so uh you know hans's idea on that one was to build a war room which we did which was having mm-hmm. a bunch of musicians together in a room hans with a sequencer and literally write the score as they went and and the music you know music would get written it would get thrown up against picture it would no it doesn't work there let's try it there get thrown up against picture and um and um so uh, one of Hans's first idea was to do this, to create this drone, okay, this sort of like constant right. sound that is the pre- ever presence in the movie, and it's now it's notoriously called the BHD drone. It exists. So they we spent forever on it, and I remember the first meeting with the with the editor, Pietro, who also edited uh, Gladiator, Hannibal. Yes. And, uh, and he came Rid- in, worked with Ridley pretty exclusively, very for much for a long time. And and uh, he came into the war room, and we're all there. And, and you know, and plus, not only do I sit next to them when we're working, but I I'm in the meetings a lot of times with you know where because right. I want to know what the director's thinking so I can address that when I mix. But anyway, so in this case, he comes in and Hans starts playing him these drones, and you can see you know Pietro has this like ready to be blown away sort of vibe about him, and he's hearing this drone, and he's like. And they play him another drone, and he's like, and they play him another drone, and, and he finally turns. He goes, "You're kidding, right?" <laughs> and and Hans was like, uh, "No, no, no. This is just that you know, because Hans is a master at many things. He is a master composer, but he is also a master at understanding where to take a meeting for everyone to get what they mm. need. You know this better than anyone. I mean, this is." He I learned from it more than the king anything of that. He is the no one gives a better meaning than Hans. So he yep. all of a sudden, so no one gets mad, but he just redirects the energy into whatever the new direction happens to be, and that would happen a lot, and that happened a lot on Blackhawk. And in the end of the day, I mean, obviously that was one of the more celebrated scores that we did. But I can tell you, it started as a, as a, as an inkling of an idea of a single sound that turned into that whole score. Of course. Um, it, it makes me... First of all, let's just... Can I just say amen to the Hans in a meeting? I um, I said to Hans that he taught me something, and he actually then taught me one other thing. I said at one point, I, of course, coming into this field, I thought 90% of being a film composer is the musicality and understanding the orchestra and all these musical things i said but after watching hans in these meetings with the most Ridley scott and big terrence terrence malick i said terrence yeah, i know i didn't want to correct you know you. these huge <laughs> jeffrey katzenberg steve right you know it's like and they'd say first of all they'd say something like i don't know man you know that doesn't work and instead of hans going are you kidding what i'd want to say which is are you kidding that's the most amazing cue i've ever heard hans would go Tell me what doesn't work for you, or let me see what I can do. And so at one point I said to him, I realized that film music is 50-50. It's 50% music and 50% diplomacy. Right. I think think it's more 90% music and 90% diplomacy. He actually (laughs) said something 
Interesting. He said, no, it's a third, a third, a third. Yeah. And what he's, the final third, I've always found the most intriguing aspect of what he thinks about and what film composers think about. And of course, he said it's a third music, a third politics, and a third storytelling. And I thought, oh, it, you have to have that skill sure. more than any. And I'll tell you something about storytelling is, you know, for me, what I do is all about storytelling. You know, it's like one of the reasons I felt that I was better for film music than I was for pop records is because my lead vocal is the dialogue. And I sit forever listening to the dialogue, mixing into it to try to, where can I get a moment? Where can I grab a little bit of emotion and stuff like that? To me, I'm, I, I, that was what I was passionate about when I first discovered film score was my ability to be part of this process, this bigger process of storytelling. It felt less lonely. You know, it felt like I wasn't just making a piece of music to stick on a radio to make money, that I was involved in this process of trying to transmit you know, a feeling, a story or stuff like that. And I still, to this day, honor that. You know, I still work. And that's what I, when I have my seminars, I always talk about storytelling. I love the, I've never heard this, and I absolutely love that sentence, that your lead vocal is dialogue. I've never thought of that. I've never, I don't think, been conscious of how much of your day is spent staying out of the way of dialogue. I just, this is like, whoa. Oh, yeah, maybe that's... Um, and it makes me wonder about the obvious thing, which as a musician, as the head of music, I used to worry about the helicopter sounds are going to crush this delicate moment from Patrick Doyle or Rachel Portman or whoever it is, and nobody else seemed to care that because it was important that the helicopter was heard. Are you fighting with the sound effects guys? Are you... Oh, sure. Sometimes, but but I'm collaborating with them more than I'm fighting with them. You know, it's it, it, when you get a guy like Richard King on a Chris Nolan movie. You know, this is a guy that that treat you know that worships music. You know, and uh, I mean, you look. There are guys out there that couldn't give a rat's ass about the music. We are the bastard child of filmmaking. There's no doubt about it. That's why when I work on a film that wins an Academy Award for Best Sound Mixing, I don't get an Academy Award, it, which is ridiculous. And that's by the way, there's seven of those now that I did that one for best sound mixing. So, you know, it just, it's, it's we are, insane. it's insane. I mean, it's, it's look, I, I, it's do you go to the final, another, do you go to those final mixes? I can't oh, remember. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I go to the yeah. dev when I can. I mean, I, I don't always have the, t the schedule to do it, but I always check in. And now it's, you know, during mm -hmm. the pandemic, obviously that's, that's, you know, I'm working at home and I don't even have clients. Very rarely do I have a client come over. I play everything on source connect and, you know, I, I I've done, I've done 11 movies on a Moby album from my house. You know? That's what I was wondering about. Two things you just said. A, how did the pandemic change your gig? And B, what's up with the Moby album? Because I'm curious about it. And I also, I'm not going to plug it because he doesn't sponsor us, but I like his restaurant. And It's not his um, restaurant anymore. Did he go away from yeah. Little Pine? Yeah. Darn. Yeah. I, I had some great meals there. That's yeah, too yeah, bad. Yeah. Good to know, though. Yeah. Because um, I used to go there with Chris Bowers, I wanted to take I wanted to take yeah. Chris Bowers there because he's a vegetarian. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and it's a vegetarian restaurant. This yeah, is yeah. more information that our audience needs to know. <laughs> but um, tell me about pandemic mixing. As I was wondering, you can't have guys in the room. What if you have a question or you, you present something? Well, so How? so it, I was I was fortunate 
you know, in the fact that uh, after about a month in the pandemic, um, I started getting busy. And uh, and then I had the good fortune of working with uh, Trent and Atticus on Mank. And so uh, mm -hmm. before we had done Mank, uh, we had done Minions and we and it was a situation. Oh, no, SpongeBob with Hans. And and so that was the first time we had a bunch of musicians playing at home and I had to get everything in here and turn it into an orchestra and stuff. And I learned a lot of valuable lessons on that. I learned that in that case, I was able to get away with a lot because we were mixing it with samples. But on Mank, there were no samples. I had to use the recordings that we were making. And I learned that, you know, if you give four violinists the same part, they're going to record it with four different microphones and four different distances and four different methods at noise level. So what I proposed when when I had my first meeting with Trenton Atticus and I heard the the mock-ups, I said that they wanted it to sound like a Bernard Herrmann score. So I said, well, look, why don't we, I can tell you that our biggest problem is going to be people's recording techniques. So let's do this. I own 27 ribbon mics. Let's give it to the 27 musicians we have. We'll give them a mic and with it will be a phone call for me to tell them exactly where to place it and exactly how to wow. record it. And Trent was like, you're hired. You know, huh. that's what we want. So that's what we did. And lo and behold, it worked like a charm. So I got all the stuff in and then through technology, some really fantastic technology that uh, I had repurposed from a sample library, uh, hmm. I was able to place everyone literally on a stage and be able to control the depth and the distance and the width and stuff like that. It was very, nothing nothing brilliant about my part. Maybe the only thing I had that was smart was I came up with the idea of doing it, but the technology existed and I knew the guy that designed it. So he wrote me a script, you know, and and there you had Mank. So so when I did Mank, at that time I had, I had started with a, like a laptop and some JBLs. And then at one point before the pandemic, I said, well, you know, I'm Alan Meyerson, whatever the, whatever the hell that means I should have proper speakers at home so I bought smaller versions of the speakers I had at remote control and then um, when uh, the pandemic hit I decided to turn my home studio into a 5.1 studio and I'm mm. still running on a Mac mini right and then when yep. Mac hit and mm. I had to run the software my DSP loads went crazy so I went out and I said okay let's buy the big computer I spent 15 grand on a computer and a, a thousand voices of Pro Tools yeah the big Mac Pro but I put in four uh, HDX cards and, and now I have 32 faders. If I, I could show you, I have four S1s. So I basically have a small version of what I have at remote, which is a big 40 fader S6 and I have 32 fader S1 and I hit Damn. the ground running, you know, so I did make Will I, you ever go to work again oh, at yeah. remote? Yeah, sure, or... I did Dune there and, you know, <laughs> I, I still go out. I did Raya with James's place. I When I work with Harry, he has right. a room I like to work at. Um, yeah. And I'm going to go back there. Absolutely. Not right now, but but just because of the projects that I have right now and finishing up Sing and and um, and uh, the next couple of things I'm doing, I'm going to do at home. But you know, of course, I'm going to go back there. I don't have Atmos here and I have Atmos at remote. So that's a good nice. reason to go. But I, think... and I ended up so so between that and then I got the Moby album and I, I did I think I'm on like on my 14th movie since the pandemic started. I know it's crazy. it makes sense though because in some ways post could take place you know people couldn't be shooting but they're going to be dumping all the stuff they have into your lap to say right. okay now let's mix everything so so they talked about on raya and the last dragon 
there's this there's this trailer that went out that said 935 of the craftspeople that worked on this film worked from home. So the animators, the musicians, me, you know, it's like, and and so it's a new world, you know. This, I mean, I can sit in here, I can send you a surround mix, I could drive your video, um, and I could play you mixes. I could, we could talk on Zoom. Uh, I could do scoring sessions at Abbey Road, which, you know, that's the drag. Is I'm probably not going to go to Abbey Road as many times as I used to. Although I'm going in October, so nice. Uh, yeah, I still I go there a lot. So we're doing what is a, that for? Uh, Star Wars: Fallen Order. It's a Star Wars video game I did for EA two years ago. That did we did six hours of music. It was a big hit, and so we're doing the next one. You so, you remind me of of one thing, and then I have one more question. You remind me that Hans, the first person. I can't remember which movie we did where he said we're recording at Abbey Road at the 10 a.m. downbeat, and we're going to serve breakfast at remote, and we're go at 2 a.m. in the morning, and we're going to do the date, right. and it was. This is crazy, but he's doing it all remotely, right. and he's cooking. He said an English breakfast, right. The Welcome. only thing is, I'm going to have to correct you because it was definitely Air Studios. It wasn't Abbey Road. Oh, was it Air? Yeah. Yeah, it was Air. You're right. It was Air and it was... Because um... he wouldn't have worked at Abbey Road at that point. I can't remember what the that film was. But I, I do remember the insanity of coming to remote. Well, in those days, it was much harder to do. Now it's it's a, you know, it's, it's a completely different world now. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I used to try and do things like that. And it was I remember a kind of crappy image of a composer on a in a square at the top of the screen yeah. and it was, it was no it's pretty good. well tweaked now yeah i want to come back to one composer you mentioned because i've been following alan myerson on social media and i see <laughs> wonderful pictures maybe from the village of you and the great chris bowers right on a movie i know nothing about but i'm curious about king richard right so that's what we're actually the village uh, pictures are from Space Jam, but uh, I'm doing King Richard with him now, which I'm not actually mixing. I, I was very honored because he that was a movie that he promised to his, he has a staff engineer, Stephen Kay, who's a fantastic, he did all the Bridgerton stuff and everything. He's a phenomenal, oh, wow. phenomenal mixer. So they had asked me if I would be, would I be willing to record it so that Stephen could mix it? And I said I would be honored to do that. I was happy to do that. So we're doing that now. It's a, It's the story of Venus and Serena Williams' dad. Oh, that's King Richard. Got right. it. And that's it's, amazing. It's a, it's Will Smith. He's definitely going to get an Academy Award nomination. My two cents, Chris Bowers is going to get an Academy Award nomination for the score. This is like Chris's next level stuff. You know, he's just really next level mm -hmm. stuff. And I don't say that, you know, I've worked with a lot of people and I can tell you that there is something different about this 31-year-old guy and what comes out of his brain. It's just really incredible stuff. You know, even on, on Space Jam, a movie that had to like have all these hip hop paradigms and stuff like that going on in orchestral, it was next level. But this is, was an opportunity for him to not have to worry about hip hop and not have to worry about any preconceived notions to just to do a great score. And he absolutely hit it out of the park. You will have no argument here on the from the Chris Bowers fan club. I, I, first of all, he's become a really good friend, and and. Uh, oh yeah! By the way, he's a wonderful guy. The best. In addition to everything else, the best. And just, and just the sweetest. Yep. Most humble guy who appreciates everyone's talents and 
you know, just lets people do what they do. And, and, uh, but still at the end of the day, he gets what he wants, you know, and he's like any other composer, he knows what he wants and, and he won't quit till he gets it. Well, you heard it first score fans, Chris Bowers, Academy Award, maybe 2023, I'm thinking for King Richard mixed by the most amazing human in the film music world who never gets enough acknowledgement, recorded attention. By and everything <laughs> um and that's alan myerson my friend from who was my assistant i'm gonna say on Good. no we now know I like it, it. <laughs> now, but who was there when i was a man there, a younger man in a younger day <laughs> he was there at the beginning and it's also nice to know that we were part of a migration when the stories are told years from today from new york to la because la in the 80s for many reasons for both of us became a destination that personally also as you know I, I don't know from Brooklyn I'm a New Jersey boy but I didn't know from Los Angeles that wasn't I was gonna live in New York for the rest of my life and be a bohemian songwriter who knew that I'd end up in sunny California but there was something that happened in the 80s where yeah. suddenly all my New York friends were in the Hollywood Hills we, we just moved the party yeah west yeah and yeah, so, I, I don't. I didn't even think about it, and I was just doing the. I was just doing a day at a time at that point. I didn't know where I was going to end up, what I was going to do. I, 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 I knew that I had created a, a, a circle of friends, a tribe at that point, that was very special to me, and it was going to be hard to leave. But then, when the time came, I realized that I really needed a fresh start in my life, and that my trip to LA was the opportunity to have that. God smiled on that thought because boy did you uh fate said fate put its arm around alan myerson and said good move yes so um alan i'm just glad we had a chance to chat listen i i would like to have this would have liked to have have this talk over lunch over a diet coke or online for the world to enjoy just yeah. because it's fun to catch up yeah, always with you and just you. wonderful to share these so, stories so great and to hear see more you and robert is a very very special guy to me he's you know he uh, there's there are things that that ground me and they ground me to the past to the good things of the past and robert mm -hmm. is one of those faces that when i see him there's this immediate sense of ah that i have and, and i'm sure it'll always be that way you know it's Glad our history. journeys have crossed so many times over the over the course of the years. We have traveled this path. So, ladies and gents, you heard it first. Composer Carol, thank you for joining. Carol, thank you. Alan, a million thank thanks. You. I can't wait to hear what you've been telling us about, and also see you live and in person. Be nice. Post pandemic, right? It'll be great. So, yeah. thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks, Alan, for your time. We will see everyone on the next episode of Score the Podcast. Bye. See you, Alan. Thank you. Bye. Great. Oh, is he gone already? <laughs>